It's so good to see you all this morning and we are trusting that God's going to speak to us. I'm wondering if, uh, if any of you watched Strictly on Saturday night. Put your hands up, guilty, guilty as charged. Uh, for anyone who might be watching later on, um, on YouTube uh, with some American friends, Strictly is originally was called Strictly Come Dancing and it's the equivalent to what I believe America has danced, caused dancing with the stars. So last Saturday night, I don't know if any of you watched um, Giovanni. Why not? Yeah. Uh, he was dancing with, um, I get her name right here, Ranver Singh, who is uh, one of the Good Morning uh, Britain stars. And they were dancing the foxtrot. Did anybody see them dancing the foxtrot? Put your hand up. Okay, so uh, if, you, if you did, then you'll know that they sang to a song called I Love You, I Do, which is, um, I think it's by the Dream Girls. And as they danced around the floor, uh, it wasn't maybe very noticeable at the time, but we saw last night on the, on the news, Jane and I watched and her eyes popped out of her head, because just as Giovanni was dancing and swirling her around, uh, as only he can, uh, looking into her eyes, he mouthed the words, I love you, I love you. And you know, it was just such a, a captured for me, maybe I'm just a bit of an old romantic, but it captured for me a beautiful romantic moment. And yet we know that it's, it's only superficial, it's the words of the song, I love you, I do. It's interesting that the words of the song, I listened to it this morning, went on to say, I put my trust in you, you're the perfect man for me. And so you can imagine yourself being swirled around. And, you know, we love to think of the dance and we, we really associate it in so many ways with love. And so I want to talk to you this morning about love, about the love of God. And I want to talk to you about the dance because uh, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, uh, for uh, for many, uh, this is a picture, and perhaps the theologians in the past, the early church fathers and mothers, tried to explain this by showing us the dance, not the kind of dance with just two people, but you know the way if you see a Greek wedding, or you see it in Israel sometimes, people dancing more than three, and they're dancing, and they're swirling around and moving together. And I want to read this to you as, as an expression and a description of what the Trinity, what we imagine the Trinity to be like, the wonder of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It talks here just about how as they go faster, you know the rhythm gets faster, it becomes almost a blur that you can hardly distinguish uh, one from the other. And uh, in this way, um, they, they call this uh, a bit like the, the, the Trinity and the word that they used is a word called Perry choruses, I wrote it in your notes there, the dance of love. The early, the individual identities are a part of a larger dance. The early church fathers and mothers looked at that dance and said, that's what the Trinity is like. It's a harmonious set of relationships in which there's a mutual giving and receiving and preferring each other. This relationship is called love. And it's what the Trinity is all about. Did you ever think that love cannot exist alone? It can't. 
Love must express itself to another. And so we have the perfect picture of the Trinity. The perichoruses is the dance of love. As human beings, we relate to one another in the dance of life on this planet. The relationships between the three persons in the Trinity, dynamic, interactive, loving, serving each other, preferring each other, form the model for our human dance steps. Unfortunately, through sinfulness, we corrupt the dance into a choreography of conflict. However, now through the Gospels, Christians have been brought into a special relationship with the triune God. Through Christ's incarnation, ministry, death, resurrection and ascension, and by the regenerating action of the Spirit, we prodigals have been brought home and embraced by our Father. We are carried into the household of faith. We now enjoy the feast of the fatted calf and participate in the dance party that is taking place in the Father's house. In this way, we exemplify, we show, we display to the world and even to the demonic. We display the reality and the nature of God and bring his good news to a world that has forgotten how to dance. That's the Trinity. That's what we're going to talk about because John 17 is a beautiful a beautiful prayer and it gives us a little insight. Let me read this to you because I wrote this and I want to just read it out the way I've written it. The early church fathers, as we've said, described the, the dance, this dance of the Trinity. But listen, picture Jesus. If you can put your minds back as far back as you can. Eternity goes back and back and back. There's no beginning. And if you can imagine Jesus with this love relationship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit, moving, creating the worlds, moving in, in ways that we don't even know yet that we will one day discover. And if you can picture Jesus laying aside the glory of the Godhead, we think of God's glory as, the word glory means weight or heaviness. It's splendor, it's majesty, it's the wonder of who God is. And in some ways, I believe that the glory is, you know, whenever Jesus went up the mountain and he was transfigured, there was flashes of lightning. And so I believe that the glory is, is wonderful and sparkling and glorious. And can you imagine Jesus laying aside the glory of the Godhead to leave his eternal home, knowing that he was destined for earth with all its limitations pains and injustices. Imagine uh, the, the angels singing in the fields around Bethlehem. When we go to Israel, we drive around Bethlehem and I always look across the fields and I try to imagine what that was like. And they're singing glory to God in the highest. Picture Jesus in childhood, searching out some solitary place in or around Galilee just to get some alone time to commune and interact talk to his father. We cannot possibly imagine the content of Jesus' many prayers throughout his lifetime, but this night, the night before the cross, the Holy Spirit has drawn aside the curtain for us to hear the concerns that were on the heart of Jesus the night before he died. 
Someone has called this the prayer of all prayers. This is John 17. It's often called that Jesus' high priestly prayer. When he stands between God and man and he prays and pours his heart out to his Father. Someone has called this the prayer of all prayers. Prayed by the Lord Jesus as this pivotal hour in the history of the ages has finally arrived. The moment which was planned in eternity past towards which every step of Christ's earthly pathway had been progressing. It had finally arrived, the cross, where the blood of the eternal Son of God made man had reached its terminus. You know, as I prepared for this, I felt this was like stepping into holy ground. I said to a couple of friends yesterday, I just feel this is, this is too holy. This is, I can't do this. This is, this is stepping into holy ground this morning. And I am trusting that the Holy Spirit will take this word and put it into all of our hearts. Because I believe God wants us to understand the heart of Jesus and the longings of his heart. That we might grasp that this morning in a new way that would transform our lives. Because this prayer is absolutely beautiful. Let's just read the first five verses of John's Gospel, chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words. This is after he had left the upper room. And if you remember, he had taught the disciples on the way, spoken to them about the vine. And then we finished off last week where he said, in this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And now he's moving on, he's moving towards the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I feel that this morning, if we could grasp the weight on the heart of the Saviour, as he, as he faced Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. He had just told his disciples to take heart because he had overcome the world. He had overcome the troubles and the tribulation. The word, we looked at that last week. The word tribulation means being crushed like the wine press. He was going to be crushed for us. He was going to go to the cross because of his love for you and his love for me. I can imagine Jesus on his way, perhaps standing in the Kidron Valley, just before the, the Kidron stream. I can see him. I can say that because the next chapter tells us he crosses over. So he's this side of the Kidron. And it says here that Jesus spoke these words. He, as he spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. I'd love you to get the picture of Jesus crossing the Kidron Valley. The New, Living, the New Living Translation says, After saying these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone, and he gives eternal life to each one that you've given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. 
I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. You know, when I think of Jesus looking up to his Father, his prayer is that he would be glorified so that he could glorify his Father. Ladies, Jesus had, had walked in obedience. He had walked in love and obedience, in fellowship, in oneness with his Father. And now he was about to step out and fulfill the mission that God had given to him to go to the cross. And he's asking his Father that he would be glorified. Why did Jesus want to be glorified? So that he could glorify the Father. Remember we said that, that the Trinity, they move in preference to each other. They're always moving in love, preferring, honouring, loving each other. And so Jesus wants to receive glory because he's completed his task so that his Father will be glorified, so that we might know God. Did you see what, what, what Jesus said there? He said, he said that to know, to know God let me just read it to you. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God. We're going to look as we go through this study this morning, we're going to see that, that when Jesus came, he, he wanted to restore the, the glory that we had lost in the Garden of Eden. He wants us to be glory bearers as well. But right here now he's saying very, very clearly, this is eternal life, that we would know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus had glorified his Father on the earth. He had finished the work. And now he says, O oh, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He knew he was going back to the Father. He knew the following day he would go to the cross. He knew he would complete the mission and he would go back up to the Father and he would be reunited in glory with the Father. And so he prays this first prayer and his first prayer is that he would be glorified. We're going to see that his second prayer was for his disciples, that they would be sanctified. And we're going to see that his last and third and final prayer was that you and I would be unified, made one with him. So I want to take you on this journey this morning. I am trusting that the Holy Spirit will really speak to you, that you will see that God's glory is wonderful. Here's a, a, what I, I read this somewhere and I jotted it down. Glory is the outward expression of the fullness of the majesty and totality of the divine nature. When you and I were, when our forefathers, when, when Adam and Eve were created, God, we're told in Psalm chapter 8 that, that God made man and he clothed them with glory and honour. And so our first state as human beings, we were given the glory, God's glory. I believe, I, I actually believe that, that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, that they sparkled. I sense that the glory shone out of them because they at that point hadn't yet sinned against the holy God. And, and they understood at that point that they were, that they were, uh, they, that they carried the glory of God. 
And here's the thing, that Jesus wants you and I to be restored to carry that glory again. I want to read the next part of it, how he prayed for his disciples that they would be not just glorified, but that they would be sanctified. Let's just read the next few verses. Verse 6. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from the world. Now remember, you're still listening into this conversation between Jesus and his Father. And he's just asked the Father to glorify him so that he'll glorify the Father because he's going back to glory. He's going back to the eternal ages. He's going back to the throne of God. And if you want to read when you go home, read Isaiah chapter 6 and you'll see something of the magnificence of the, of the, of the throne and where Jesus was going back to and the glory that was there. The glory and the honour around the throne. But now... He's asking and he's, he's speaking now and he's asking his father specifically about the disciples that his father had given to him. Let me just read this to you. I have revealed you to the ones you give me in this world. That were the disciples. That was everyone who had trusted him, who had received him as Messiah, as the saviour of the world. Jesus said to his father, these were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. And who are mine, and all who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory." You see what was happening? He recognised that the Father had given him the disciples and given him the, the chosen. Do you remember in, in John chapter 15, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And so you've been chosen and you've been brought into this relationship with God. And here is Jesus and he is, he is uh, speaking to his Father. And he said, I know you've given them to me. And because they've trusted in me and believed your word, they're actually bringing glory to the Godhead. And he says, Holy Father, he says, now I am departing, verse 11, from, the world, from this world, and they are staying in the world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them, that's the disciples, by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, Jesus said, I protected these disciples by the power of the name that you give me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Who was that? Let me paint this for you. I, would, I, I really don't want you to miss this because you could easily just kind of over the statement think this is about glory and all this stuff and it's kind of been over my head. Please don't do that. Because there's something really beautiful and wonderful here this morning, I believe, for all of us. Because Jesus is saying here that he had actually revealed, manifested means to reveal himself to the world. He had revealed the heart of the Father to his disciples, to the, to the ones who, who loved him, to the people who received him as Messiah, the ones that the Father had given to him. Remember in John 14 verse 9, Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he came to show the world what the Father looked like, who the Father was, what his nature was. And when, they, when the world saw Jesus, they saw God himself. And he came to reveal the heart of the Father to the world. And he's saying to the Father, 
I've given them the message. I've given them your word. Remember, Jesus himself is a living word. John 1, chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word, and he came with the word and with the message. And he, he revealed the heart of the Father to the disciples. And he prayed for his disciples, for those that he asked his Father to keep. He was going to go back to the Father, but he knew that his disciples would need to be kept and protected. Do you know that God protects you and can keep you? I was reading Psalm 121 the other morning, and oh, if you get time, go and read it, and just take a few moments to sit and bathe in the fact that, the, that God watches over you, that he doesn't slumber or sleep, and he keeps you. He's a God who keeps us and protects us. And so he's asking the Father to, to keep and protect his disciples. And he says, I read there to you, he wanted them to be one with the Father, just as he and his Father were one. The Trinity is one, three in one. Jesus wanted the lives of his disciples to count. He didn't want them to waste their lives. Let me tell you this morning that I didn't sleep very well last night, but in the middle of the night, I was up and bright and as a bunny at half four this morning with all this stuff going through my head and I felt like God really gave me this to, to pass on, that there's a danger of us wasting our lives. Jesus is praying to keep these disciples. Father, keep them. Keep them connected with yourself. Keep them as one as we are one. This is the prayer of the heart of Jesus that we get to peek into this, this sanctified place where he speaks with his Father. And he said, don't let them waste their lives. He said, I have kept them. During the time that Jesus had been on earth, he had kept them. He had protected them. And he said, I didn't lose any except one. Who was the one? Judas Iscariot. He's referred to in some of the translations as the son of perdition. And I looked up the meaning of perdition. And it means destruction or waste. You see, Judas Iscariot was the one. Do you remember we talked about it a few weeks ago? How he didn't count worship as being of any value. Remember, remember whenever Mary of Bethany loved Jesus so much and had that insight that he was going to die for the sins of the world and, and, and out of love and a heart was bursting for love, she took the most expensive thing she had, probably her life savings in that jar of expensive nard or perfume and she broke it she broke it for love she she smashed it and poured the contents over the feet of jesus because she loved him and she wanted to worship him and she got down at his feet and she poured and the smell and the aroma just filled the house do you know that when jesus went to the cross i i'm sure you could still smell the aroma from his clothes and from his body what did, what did Judas say? Why was this waste? Why was this waste given? This money could have been used for the poor. But we're told that, that Judas didn't care about the poor. He just loved money. He loved something else instead of the Saviour. Do you know there's a danger of us loving something else more than Jesus? Do you know there's a danger of us looking to something else rather than looking into the face of Jesus? And so when I think of Jesus' prayer, he's saying, look, keep them, Father. I've kept them up to now, and I've kept them safe 
Remember John 13 verse 1 says, Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And he'll love you to the end and he'll keep you. But he doesn't want you to waste your life. He wants you to know what worship is and to value times with him and looking into his face. Psalm 41 and 9 and Zechariah 11, 12 to 13 were prophetic writings about Judas and how he would, how he would uh, betray the Son of God. And then in the midst of all of this, in John 17, verse 13, he's still praying about the disciples. And did you notice what it says uh, in verse, verse 13? It says, But I have come to you, and these I speak, and these things I speak in the world, that they, that's the disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in them. We've been speaking a lot about joy from the beginning of this season. Every week we're talking about joy. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus is the source of all joy. And he wants you to be filled with his joy. And he's, he's asking the Father that you would, would be filled with his joy. And in actual fact, I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. He says, I've told them many things while I was with them in this world, so that they would be filled with my joy. Another place it says that my joy might remain. Do you know your life is meant to be joy, deep joy, even in the difficult times? There is a supernatural joy that comes from God that no one or nothing else can give. And in these verses, Jesus isn't praying for the disciples to be taken out of the world. Instead, he's praying they'll be kept safe from the evil one. You and I need to realise that there's an evil one who, who works, who plots and schemes against us, who wants to distract us and take our eyes off Jesus and get our eyes onto anything else so that our, our lives are wasted. The enemy wants to kill and to steal and destroy and he doesn't want your life to count for God. And so Jesus has prayed for his glory and he's prayed for his disciples to be sanctified. He, he's prayed he'll be, he'll be glorified and his disciples will be sanctified. Sanctified means set apart. Listen, you and I are called to be set apart for God. And then the third part of this morning, which is really the crunch of what I want to say. John 17, verses 20 to 23. Jesus is praying for his church. That's for you and for me. He is now looking away down the line. He's looking away down the centuries and he sees those that have come to know him through the testimony and the word and the preaching of the disciples. And he's, he's prayed for the disciples and he knows that they're going to have to go out. And many of them were, were martyred for the faith of the gospel but they, and they preached in, those, in, the, in the first century. And, and Jesus is, has prayed for them but now he's looking away down the line and he sees you and me and he's praying for you and he's praying for me. And what's he praying for? That we would be one with God. That we would be unified or I love the, the word one, oneness with God. Let me read these verses to you and then we're going to, we're going to try and wind this up because I believe God really has a lot for us to lay hold of this morning. Jesus says, verse, verse uh, 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and that's me. I pray that they will all be one, 
just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. I want to just stop there for a moment. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. Did you catch that about the oneness? Now, I want to try and explain this to you because it's mind-boggling. I can hardly explain it to myself. Jesus is praying that we will be one in the same way as Jesus and his Father, God the Father, God the Son, are one. And he says, just as just as you are in me, Father, so the Father is in the Son, and I am in you, so the Son is in the Father, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. Do you realise that, that the God has, has invited you to come into this union, into this trinity? That he's invited you and invited me to come in to be part of this eternal dance, to be part of the Godhead, that we might be in the Father and in Jesus, and Jesus in us, and Father in us. Can you grasp it? It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. If only we could grasp this. He's praying that we will be one with the Father and one with him. So that those in the world will believe that God has sent his son. We are carrying the presence of Christ. We carry the Holy Spirit. We are, we, we are human containers, if you like, of the Godhead. And, and, and God wants us to reveal what he is like to a world that doesn't know him. He says in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Do you realise that God has given us glory? That we can carry his glory, his splendour, his beauty. All that was lost in the Garden of Eden when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price to restore the beauty, to restore the glory, to restore that uh, imputed righteousness that the Bible talks about. That means that he puts his righteousness on you and on me. God the Father looks at you and looks at me and he sees us in Christ and he sees us perfect and holy and beautiful and he sees the glory because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Oh, if there was anyone here this morning who has never asked Jesus to come in to, to take that place of saviour, if you have never acknowledged your need of a saviour, will you do it this morning that you would ask Jesus to come and save you and forgive you and take up residence in your heart and in your life so that you can carry him and carry his, his presence and the presence of the Father everywhere you go and that that would shine out of you by the Holy Spirit's power, that you would shine in a world that needs to see the reality of the Godhead and how much he loves this world. He says, I've given them the glory that you give me so that they may be one as we are one. Think of this oneness. I am in them and you are in me, Jesus says. So he is in us and God is in him. May, Jesus says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now I want you just to catch this wee bit and then I'm getting to the crunch of what I really want to say. Father, Jesus said, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Did you get that? Did you get it? That Jesus wants you and me to be with him. He's going back to the Father. He's going back to eternal glory. He's going back to the throne of God. He's going back to where the worlds were framed. 
for the universe. The universe is mind-blowing. The scientists can't get beyond it. They can't get to an end of it. It's, it's going out there and out there. Apparently it is still going out and, and still being created. God spoke and it's still the world is still creating itself. Do you realize that Jesus wants you and me to be with him throughout eternity where he is? Do you realize what this invitation means? Do you realize that this is the heart of Jesus the night before he goes to the cross and he's saying, Father, I love, I love these people. I love these ones that are yet to be born, that, that he could see with, with his eye of, of, of his of his uh, of his God eye and all knowledge and all omnipotence and all power and all glory. He could see you and see me away down the line and he said to his father, I want this one with me. I want Helen with me. I want Pauline with me. I don't want them to miss this. I don't want their lives to be wasted. I want them to be with me, to be part of my glory. What an amazing thing. He says, Father, I want them to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory that you've given me because you loved me even before the world began. And then he just, this final word of verse 25 and verse 26. Oh, righteous Father, Jesus says, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples, these ones that you've given to me, these ones who have believed in me, I have revealed to them and I will continue to reveal to them. I've revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Listen, this is love. This is joining the dance of the Godhead. Why would we want to dance with anyone else? I believe this morning that God is inviting us to take heart. I believe he wants us to see that this dance is worth dancing. You know, uh, as I looked at uh, the, the um, Strictly on, on Saturday night, and I saw uh, Ranveer dancing. I don't know if you, if, you, if you heard, but there was somewhere or other I heard a little bit of an interview, and she talked about how every... Every day, it was, she was in, almost in tears because she was just so exhausted and practicing for this dance and, and having to work and all the pressures that were around her. It was just, it was nearly too much. And like a certain time every day, she was kind of dissolved, having a bit of a meltdown. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me that, that this lady, Ranveer, and the other contestants in Strictly, they count it worthwhile to practice. Like it's blood, sweat, and tears, isn't it? I mean, how they do that, I do not know. But I tell you, they are prepared to sacrifice so that they can be in step with their partner and they can dance around that ballroom and that they can get the points. Do you know what? Jesus is inviting you to dance with him. He's inviting you into the dance with the Godhead. And he's saying, you can do it. I can teach you the steps. And sometimes it won't be easy. Sometimes it'll feel like you're too weary and you're too fed up and, and life's not the way you expected it to be and you thought everything would go easy. I was talking to my good friend here, a couple of rows back, Kelly, yesterday, and she said, did you ever notice that in the Old Testament that those characters have to wait an awful long time before they got the promises that God gave them? Bit of a, one of those light-on moments, wasn't it, Kelly? And you see, we expect as believers, oh, if it doesn't all go just right for me, well, we'll just chuck it in. That's not the mentality of Ranveer 
or those other contestants, they're prepared to learn the steps. They're prepared to put themselves out. Blood, sweat and tears that they can dance with their partner. Do you know something that the enemy doesn't want you to dance? He will tell you, who do you think you are? How could you, how could you even think that you could live like that? How could you even imagine that you could, that you could be in partnership with God? Listen, ladies, we're invited to dance with him. He's the God of the dance. Even in the hardest times, you know, in the most difficult times of my life, when I wept the most tears, that's when I danced the most with my Saviour. I'm telling you that because that's the truth. There's something about just dancing before him and dancing with him. When you love him and worship him and you look into his face. And you know, as I just try to wind this up right now, I just want to say this to you. That these three things go together. The glory, being glorified, being sanctified, and being unified or made one. Do you know these all go together in the dance? God give this to me in the middle of the night. Do you see as you're dancing and you're looking into the face of your partner, as you look into the face of your saviour, as you look into the divine face of the saviour as you dance with him, you are being changed. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, you are being changed from one level of glory to another. Can you imagine as you dance with the saviour and look into his face, did you notice the way that Ranveer, the way she danced and they looked at each other and then did you notice how she leaned the way, way, way back? See, I believe that God wants us to be open, to, to hold ourselves in posture and to trust him, even if we have to lean back to trust that he's got us. And we dance in unity with him and we look into his face. And what does it tell us in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18? We can all draw near to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil we will all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How, do, how are we changed? Looking into the face of Jesus and dancing with him, abandoning ourselves to him, letting him lead us in the steps, trusting he's leading us in the right steps. We are, we're looking into the face of Jesus. We're not looking into our own face and trying to get something back from, from, from our own flesh. We're looking to him, looking on to Jesus. So we're glorified, changed, as we, as we dance with Jesus. We're also set apart. When you see those, that couple dancing, she is set apart for Giovanni. They're partners and they're dancing together. And so I was reminded in the middle of the night of 1 Thessalonians 5, where it says, verse 5, verse 23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. As we dance with him, we are set apart for him. We belong to him. Last week we saw we're bought with a price. He paid for us on the cross. We belong to him. And he's saying, come, I want to take you places. I want to reveal my, I want to make you more like myself. I want to set you apart for the purposes that I have for your life. And finally, we are made one. We are unified. I've written in your notes, as we learn the heavenly dance steps and keep in step with the one who gave himself for us, we become one with him.
just as the, the dancers danced as one person. Let me read this to you and then we're going to finish. This is about being one, about being full of the Holy Spirit. This is about allowing God to fill us. I'm going to read it to you from the, the um, Passion Translation. And here's what it says. It was Jerry who gave this to me yesterday and I was thinking of it in the middle of the night. This is the Apostle Paul praying that the Lord would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory. This is Ephesians 4 verse 16. I want you to get that. The unlimited riches of his glory and favour until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Christ in you. You are one with him. Then it goes on to say, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released. The oneness, his life in you will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. The love of the Godhead will become the very root and source of your life. Everything that you long for, everything that you do, everything that you have will be rooted and grounded in him. Then it says you will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. Listen ladies, we long to be loved and there's nobody can love us like Jesus. And he loves us right into every nook and cranny. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled, overflowing with the fullness of God. One with him. Wow. Is that not something else? Does that not get you excited? Goes on to say in verse 20, Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. And he will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church and every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will yet be manifest through time and eternity. Ladies, there it is. The God who wants you to dance with him. The God who invites you to come and learn the steps. Learn how to keep in step with him. Learn how to lean back and carry yourself resting in his arms. Trusting him to lead you where he needs to lead you. Allow yourself, allow yourself to walk and dance with him. Father, we pray that these words will go right into our hearts. We pray, O oh God, that you will minister to us in deep ways. We pray, Lord, that we might accept your invitation this morning. We're going to sing the song again. The reason I ask you to sing this song is because so often the enemy tells us who do you think you are 
Who do you think you are that you could be glorified with Christ? That you could be set apart for Christ? That you could be one with Christ? Who do you think you are? I'll tell you who he is. He's the one who gave himself for us. He's the one who is our great high priest. Ladies, we're going to sing this song and just ask you to sit where you are. I should just say that I've realised I didn't put my phone onto the airplane mode so we won't be able to have a video. I'm kicking myself right now, so I'm apologising for that ahead of time. We will have an audio, but I just trust this morning that, that God has touched you and as you sing these words quietly or just read them, whatever you feel comfortable with, I just pray that God would minister to you his love and his goodness. Many years ago in Enniskillen, where I was living at the time, I think I was possibly in my 20s, and I remember <coughs> walking along where I was working, and something had happened that had annoyed me, and I was grieved, and I felt really, I felt I'd let God down, and I wasn't feeling in a great place. And as I was walking along, just at my work of outside, I was going out for a message, these words came to me. When Satan tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there, that's Jesus, who took away, who made an end to all my sin. And I remember in that moment just the tears coming and I realised I didn't have to carry guilt. I didn't have to carry stuff like that. I didn't have to be bowed down or worried. He had taken all my guilt all my grief, all the stuff that the enemy wants to heap upon me and he had made an end of it and he was sitting there as my high priest and you know I remember just going off with a skip and a dance and I always remember that song to this day. So may you go out of here with a dance in your step, may you get ready, I just would dare you to put some worship music on tonight and start to dance around your room and worship as you dance. And just know that Jesus is dancing with you. I have been known to dance like this with my Saviour. Worshipping him. Wanting to keep in step with him. Wanting to let it work out in my life. And I know he wants it to work out in your life. Let's do this thing. Let's show the world who God is. Let's show the world how wonderful and how what true love is. Giovanni and whatever you call a run beer. It's superficial. We have a, we have a God whose name, who has who graven our names on his hands and written our names on his heart. Go and worship him and love him and let him lead you in the dance into all that he has for you. In Jesus' name.